when you have negative experiences, those are very instructive mm -hmm. because it, by process of elimination, you start to form your vision, right? You say, I don't want that. Yeah. Mm. I don't want that. Instead of saying, I do want this or I do, you know, those vision boards, it can be the opposite of a vision yeah. board. It could be what I absolutely don't want to have happen. The anti-vision board is kind of how my business started. Oh, That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a really like it's way easier to narrow down what you don't want than what, like when there's so many options. It's, right, it makes it really overwhelming. Yeah, I had the anti-vision board, yeah. and that's what I you know my whole business plan was kind of founded on what I didn't want to do. I didn't want mm. to go into debt. I didn't want to. I always wanted to give the best service to clients. I didn't want anybody telling me how to cut it short. I was going to take as much time with each client as they needed, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Give great service, have, you know, you know, have just build those relationships. What I like about my job is the connection, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I could use my law degree to do a lot of things where I never met people every day, but I love the clients and I always say to them and I mean it from the bottom of my heart you are the best part of my day yeah. and that you know I think they really feel that mm. and so hey what's up guys welcome to the nice genius podcast it's been a little while I hope you all have been well today we have a special treat for you guys and we are recording first time ever in the brand new office for the upper room group and we also have the person who sold the office over to us, so I'm super excited to introduce you guys to Denise Nordheimer. Thank you so much, it's wonderful to be here. And I really feel not like the person who sold you the building, but one guardian entrusting it to the next. I mean, I really do. And there's sort of tears pinching at the back of my eyes when I say that. And so thank you very much, I'm thrilled to be here. The story just continues to get better and better. I'm so glad that you get to still be part of the entire story going forward, you know, because, you, you know, you've taken me to the nice little charity dinner and we've gone to hang out and go to the club, the Wilmington Club. And, um, you know, we'll continue to build this relationship and it's so much fun hanging out with you. You're a gift, Jesse. And a lot of people come into your life and out of your life at different times, but there are ones that come in. And just from the minute I met you, I knew you were going to be here for more than a minute. And I'm just mm -hmm. uh, uh, thrilled. And also, when I didn't know it when we met, but that your faith is such a big part of your life is mm -hmm. something that's so important to me personally and just another way we connect. Um, so I, I think that our relationship has some of that to it too, which is, of course, mm -hmm. the center of everything. Yeah, that's awesome. That's like a common denominator we found with a lot of our guests with like never even talking about it. It's like, all these entrepreneurs, it's really awesome to see that they're grounded in, um, in faith. And I'm glad that we shared that as well. I always look for ways to use whatever gifts I have, which are not great, but in service. I do think of my life as a life of service to God, to others, to my family. And when you have that outlook, you're just always looking for ways. And I'm sure we'll talk about as we get more into it, to use whatever you have available whatever your life presents to you whatever gifts you've been mm -hmm. given to find another way to help the next person yeah well recently you just did like a MA with fox like where like they acquired your firm right and your book of business and that's like a huge step in your life huge transition but going back to even prior to even having like your own practice and everything um 
how did you get to where you are? Like, what did your early 20s look like? And then feeding into your professional development of your 30s. Right. So uh, my undergraduate degree is from New York University. And I was very privileged. I'm a graduate of the Tisch School of the Arts. And I went to college for what interested me. So my major is in film criticism and political science, which couldn't be less practical, <laughs> right? I would tell everybody, get an accounting degree if you can. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it and I did very well. But one of the things, and I think this is an important experience, it, my generation did not have the pressure that you guys have to, to go to college and really focus on something. So while I was there, I had an internship um, with a, a very famous film critic. But I realized very quickly that that wouldn't be a way to support myself. It was more of an avocation than a vocation for me. I just couldn't, you know, uh, see doing that. And, and once, and of course that is a good thing about an internship, right? You get a good look at everything, but I did enjoy it. I did very well. And then I, after I graduated, just by chance, my whole life has been one happy accident. Uh, the day after I graduated, a friend of mine called me up and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in bed. He said, no, I mean like with your life. And I said, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. You know, I wasn't prepared for that kind of a question. Of course, this is before cell phones. Somebody, somebody actually had to call you on a landline and ask this question. And he said, I need some help in my office in New York. And, and so can you just show up at this address? And I just got a job that quickly. I mean, I think I graduated on a Friday and I had a full-time job with benefits at a company in New York City on a Monday. Oh my just gosh. stupid, right? And my friend, maybe this is more you want to know, but he built and designed very large exhibits for trade shows. So, like, mm -hmm. so trade shows like Consumer Electronics in Las Vegas. The hair show is a huge show for hair products and hair things. So he would get these big clients and build their exhibits. And then staff would go around because you have to make sure they're all set up correctly, that everything plugs in, that everything works. You know, often at like a hair show, they'll have a real runway show there mm -hmm. with models and things like that. Like everything, there's so many moving parts. So my job was to go around and put up and take down these exhibits. So I'm, you know, a kid just out of college, and I would go all over. You were telling me before we started, you guys have traveled a lot for your group, but I would go with these trade shows, and I'd be in charge of making sure the exhibit got set up, that the clients were happy while the show was going, and then it all got packed up correctly and shipped to the next place. So I traveled a lot doing that. And I just fell into it. I never had a thought. And, you know, I was making enough money. I had my friends. I was living in the city. I didn't really have a lot of pressure to do anything. Um, and then, what? oh, that company got bought a couple of times. I was actually the last person to get packaged out. I'm very proud of <laughs> oh, that. Nice yeah, job. I have to say, I was the, you know, I shut off all the lights. But then I had to look for a job, and I actually took a job, a blind ad in the Village Voice, which was a newspaper back when you found your mm -hmm. jobs in the back of a newspaper. And I worked at a very large, very prestigious law firm in Manhattan. Like I went in, I had never seen anything like it. I never had met a lawyer. And so here I am, you know, I did a couple of years of that, of the trade show thing. And I went into this law firm and it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They had oh three shifts. Wow. And I just started in the telephone room, but I think after two weeks they promoted me um, into, you know, like lower management. 
but we had 1,200 people in one building, Worldwide Plaza, if you ever see, it looks like a big pencil mm -hmm. on the skyline. It was in that building. And there I stayed, and I just learned every last thing about how to run a law firm. And like I said, even at that time, so this is the early 90s, you know, the partners were billing at $700 an hour, which was an outrageous fee. David Boyes famously was one of the attorney, one of the partners at that firm, you know, very famous litigator now. And computers had just come in, email. I remember teaching everybody how to use email. Wow. And, and so I really got raised there. But since it was an excellent firm and they wanted everything done correctly, and I, you know, and there was every moving part, I just learned the business of a law firm. I always say it was like the best graduate school. Mm. So there I stayed happily along. Again, just dumb luck, just fell into it. it. And they had great benefits. They, you know, I made real, when you work every hour that God sends, <laughs> you learn to be really good friends with the people. And I'm still very close friends with a lot of people I worked with so long ago. But when I met my husband and he was living here and we want, were thinking about where to settle, it was Delaware was such a better bet financially. Mm. You know, my husband already owned his own house. And, you know, which for we were young at the time, you know, in New York or that metropolitan area, mm -hmm. it's so much harder to get a start even then. It's just mm. sort of impossible now. So it made good sense for me to move down here. Um, and then when I moved down here, I got a job at the city of Wilmington law department right away. You know, I've been trained at a big firm. So I went from big firm to really small environment. Um, but again, just dumb luck. And, um, my husband wouldn't let me move until I had a full-time job <laughs> and until mm. like everything was set up. So we got married. I took a job at the law firm. But I was used to working like 18 hours a day. Oh, my gosh. And my job stopped at 5 o'clock. And I had always wanted to go to graduate school, but I didn't want another arts degree. So conveniently, there was a part-time law school here. So um, we got married. I got pregnant right away, which was the plan. And I took the LSATs, which is an entrance exam to mm -hmm. law school, seven months pregnant. And I had to take it in one of those little desks that are meant for people who aren't pregnant. Oh, yeah, so yeah. anyway, I always tell my daughter, um, you've got a great baseline score, you know, because you were in uterus. So I think we can count that as both our scores. If you ever want to go to law school, you've already taken the LSAT once. And so what I did with the extra time I had, meaning, you know, work ended at five, and law school started at six. Mm -hmm. Uh, three nights a week and then all the work three or four nights a week I can't even remember now but I enrolled in law school so my husband you know by by the time I had the baby and the semester started Lily was just like four months old and we have a picture of me with a baby on one side and my book bag on wow. the other and so I would leave my job you know we pick her up from daycare my husband would go home with her and then I'd leave and go to law school but um, another just lucky part of this an anonymous donor paid half my law school tuition oh. seriously yes seriously i came wow. home one night you know i was rolling in at like 11 o'clock bone tired um and just flipping through the mail and like eating cold lasagna you know just like you do when you're 
really just at the end. But so there I was, 11 o'clock, David and Lily are asleep upstairs, you know, having sweet dreams. I'm eating this lasagna and I'm flipping through the mail and there was something from the school and I opened it up and I blinked four times. I mean, I thought I was hallucinating, but it said that they had read my essay and an anonymous donor wanted to help support a woman mid-career and they had selected me. And they couldn't guarantee that they do it every year, but they gave me, you know, two full paid years. That's crazy. So it was, again, such a blessing, right? And that, because I didn't have a lot of debt ever, mm-hmm. this is an important part about being an entrepreneur, is I was able to start my own business when David and I felt like that was the right thing to do mm-hmm. because I wasn't servicing a lot of loans mm-hmm. and didn't have to take some awful job that I hated. Mm-hmm. I could have the grace and the space to start, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so that was, um, I was always, always really mm-hmm. lucky. And then my career just progressed. The person who I was working for at the city got a an appointment, a political appointment to be the register of wills. And I was fortunate enough that she took me with her mm-hmm. and I got a nice introduction into the practice area I'm in now, which is trusts and estates. And, and again, just luck. I mean, I'll say I worked very hard. So I'm saying I was lucky, but there are plenty of people who work hard who don't get those kind of opportunities. I did. And so, um, again, for me, when I was deciding what area of the law to go into, I already had this really great background because I was working full time all day Mm. in my practice area Mm -hmm. before I actually became an attorney. And so that's kind of how I, I got to where I am now. I worked a couple of years for other people, but then my husband, who's always been, and this is, you know, goes to having a strong relationship and somebody really supports you, he kept saying to me, you should really go out on your own. And I think I told you before we got started, I never met a lawyer mm-hmm. before I worked at a law firm. And I had no examples of entrepreneurs growing up. My mother was a school teacher and my father was a banker. I never saw, observed somebody making their own. I had no idea how to do it. Mm. And I was so scared. And my husband just encouraged me and encouraged me. And then when I was out of options, I did it. And it was the best thing I ever did, you know. But but like I said, I had that space to kind of grow. You never think you'll have one client. Yeah. And then I think... If you checked my conflict check, I have thousands of clients now in the time I've been practicing. Mm. So that's kind of how I got here. I hope that's you can awesome. edit this uh, if it's oh, no, no, that's no. perfect. I think yeah. everyone yeah. I think everybody who knows you in real life want to also know uh, you know, your whole story and sometimes it's just like, oh, here's a clip. <laughs> yeah. Go do what you may and then we can start a conversation from that point because sometimes there's a lot to share. Your your story. I'm so grateful that we got to hear it because I don't. I've never heard it before. So thank you for that. But when you were saying like when you were out of options and your last resort or your last option was to start your own business, what did you mean by that? Well, I had I had always been when I worked the employee of the year. Everywhere Mm -hmm. I went, I was a great worker. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was really happy in my job with the city. I loved my job with the county. And, but once I got my degree, I 
had offers to go be a real lawyer, right? And I had the training mm. so logically for my family, for my professional development, that was the right move to make. I thought I had made a terrible decision. The jobs that I got as a new lawyer were just the worst, like terrible situation, you know, and, and so I, on many levels, just a bad fit for me. I'm not saying mm. anything against the people. It was just a terrible fit. And I had always been so happy at work. It was really a shock to me. Mm. So, you know, and you, when you're in a relationship and you're coming home and you're just really wearing the other person down with complaining, you have to make some changes. And so really at that time, uh, you know, I had tried a firm, I had tried in-house, I had tried, um, some, uh, it just contract work, mm-hmm. and that it just wasn't a good long-term solution. Again, I had all this training in wills and estates and kind of my practice area, and I just thought I, I have to try. The, it now is the time to try this, and and it was a really great decision, mm-hmm. you know, and and it allowed me, like I said, to develop in my own way and use my degree in a, a way that was meaningful to me. It was just. You know, maybe if I had some better career counseling or something like that, it would have been better. But all kind of when you have negative experiences, those are very instructive Mm -hmm. because it by process of elimination, you start to form your vision. Right. You say, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Instead of saying, I do want this or I do. You know, those vision boards, it can be the opposite of a vision board. It could be what I absolutely don't want to have happen. The anti-vision board is kind of how my business started. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a really, like, it's way easier to narrow down what you don't want than, what, like, when there's so many options. It's, right. It makes it really overwhelming. Yeah. I had the anti-vision board, yeah. and that's what I, you know, my whole business plan was kind of founded on what I didn't want to do. I didn't want mm. to go into debt. I didn't want to... I always wanted to give the best service to clients. I didn't want anybody telling me how to cut it short. I was going to take as much time with each client as they needed, you know, things like that. Give great service, have, you know, you know, have just build those relationships. What I like about my job is the connection, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I could use my law degree to do a lot of things where I never met people every day, but I love the clients and I always say to them and I mean it from the bottom of my heart you are the best part of my day mm-hmm. and that you know I think they really feel that mm. and so that's awesome yeah that is awesome mm-hmm. I hear about a lot of people who come out of law school and then they go work at you know these big law firms where they can make six figures out the gate and they can make really good money but then they end up working the terrible hours or they have the terrible work-life balance I just wanted to know from you, like, what makes a good law firm or make, like, what makes a, um, maybe not like what makes a good start for somebody who's coming out of co- college or coming out of law school, but how do you, how do they find balance or is it like the, if somebody wants to go to the partner level and they make a whole career path, they have to go through that grind and like work the 12 hour plus 12 to 16 hour type of days. Like, is that a prerequisite or necessity in being a lawyer? I think because we are in a service job and we do have hourly 
billing. It's going to be hard to get away from, but this is what I'll tell you. And it's beside the point. And I do, I am a partner at a very large law firm now, and I do mm -hmm. have an associate. I will tell you for her, I want every good thing that I wanted somebody to do to me. So I'm very cognizant of that. And um, you have to choose your firm. You have to, if you're interviewing, you have to see what the culture is like. And do not be persuaded by your summer associate parties when they take you out to a baseball game or they give you your coffee cup on the first day. Look aside and really look at the firm culture. So you have to be a good shopper and see if it's a good fit. Um, I think the firms are much more sensitive now, like associate retention and promotion is mm -hmm. very important, particularly diversity too, you know, making sure that people who uh, might not have ever been, you know, uh, have opportunities. They want to see diversity across the board in every way. So that's wonderful. And it has changed a lot. Um, what did I want to say? I wanted to say that you know, if you just keep a client-centered approach, the practice of law, we take an oath. And this is where it gets different. If you just want to know what lawyers know, just go to law school and never be sworn in. Mm. But when you take an oath, it is a vocation. And you have to approach it. You can't pick it up and put it down. Your clients, when they're waiting to hear from you, it's like waiting to hear from a doctor. It, when you're working on their matter, you're a very important person in your life, and you have to hold that responsibility as sacred. I don't mean at the expense of your family or anything else, but you have to keep that at the forefront. So I think more than the hourly requirements and things you're talking about, that vocational aspect is what is very hard to understand. Also, I will tell you this, and I know it happens with doctors all the time, and I, I feel so fortunate that I'm not a doctor. You'll be in a social situation, and you'll be having a good time as your civilian self. And somebody will know that you are a lawyer, and they'll say, can I talk to you for a second? And right away, oh, no. you have to put up the barrier, right? Because that's your vocation coming in. You are no longer a civilian. You've been seen that way. And of course, you don't want to give advice to someone who's not a client, and you don't want to discuss their situation in the middle of a social mm. event. <laughs> so you have to have something to say, like, I'd love to talk to you about your matter. Why don't you call me at my office, go through conflict check, and we'll set up an appointment for your privacy. I, I don't want to do it here. Mm. And you just kind of stop it. I always say I feel sorry for the doctors <laughs> because people start to show you body parts right after oh, they yeah. say oh, that. My. At least oh, I'm goodness. spared that, yeah. right? But it's hard to set boundaries, and also it's hard to have friendships because at some point, if your friend is not an attorney, or even if they are, they're going to reach out to you. In my practice area, somebody always needs what you do, and then you have to set those limitations again. Mm. So I'd, of all the things that have been the hardest, that's kind of the hardest, yeah. is really understanding the vocational aspect of it. And so if you want a job, don't take the oath, mm. you know, mm -hmm. it, it really requires more of you and mm -hmm. that, I hope that's a good response to your question. Yeah. yeah but sure. I wouldn't work in a sweatshop and I don't want anybody to work in a sweatshop. I can tell you, uh, it, it, my firm is fantastic and they really do value 
and back up a work-life balance. And the associate that is mine, I hope enjoys a very great life. You should have her on a podcast and ask yeah. what it's like <laughs> to work there. And you can see if uh, what I'm trying to do is successful. So what is it exactly does associate, when you say that, what do you mean by that? Right. So I generate work. My, my book of business, my clients generate work. Mm-hmm. And what I do and what my associate does is, um, you know, I give her guidance on, she might do a first draft of the client documents and then we review them together because okay. I do estate plans. Or she may um, prepare an accounting that I review in an estate. So they... My way of bringing up an associate is to actually have them do the work, yeah. you know, and and um, and then review it and give guidance on it, and and absolutely have an open door. There are no dumb questions. Policy. My ideal relationship is constant communication all day yeah. long. But I give her, you know, work and parameters deadlines and and we have weekly meetings lots of FaceTime okay. um and things like that so you're training a person okay. to really you know come into the profession oh, they're like your apprentice yeah. yes right mm-hmm. so is that pre them I guess getting like the title attorney um it can be the associate I have now actually signed up her first year of law school to be in a mentoring program through the law school and we got her there so she was raised in this building and tomorrow actually tomorrow she gets sworn into the Delaware bar so she is a rare example of somebody who's been with me from her first year of law school I mean she really came up in the business she started doing filing answering the foot before mm. you know her law education kind of kicked in and then over time we gave you know over the three years of law school she graduated into more meaningful you know more substantial work and client contact and tomorrow she becomes an attorney oh that's crazy Mm -hmm. that's awesome that must be a really big proud mom moment (laughs) oh my gosh yeah um i i won't be there it's live streamed um and there's limited tickets so i'll be online but it, it is i couldn't be happier and prouder and like i said i have sworn that she will not have the experiences I had early on Mm -hmm. and that I will, you know, when we talk about that, what you don't want to be, Mm -hmm. be the exact opposite and really give her every opportunity for growth and happiness and, and fulfillment in the work she's chosen. Yeah. So what's the difference between what, uh, what you're working with nowadays? Cause it just sounds like you have one associate and when you were here at this office it seemed like there was like six of you guys here oh no I have a lot of other staff and of course because I'm in such a long large organization Fox Rothschild has over a thousand attorneys all over the country so I might get work not just from my own clients but people in other offices who want to take advantage of Delaware law who want their clients take advantage of Delaware law are calling me for business or conversely when I have work to do I reach out to this network so one of the big benefits and one of the real reasons I wanted to go into such a large law firm is Mm. because if my clients need anything Mm. anywhere or they need additional services now I don't have to just count on my local relationships I have this family Mm -hmm. to give it to and so my I have one associate but I have quite a few I have Mm -hmm. you know it's like being in a play we're the two that are on stage but there's a thousand people behind us working very hard to support our book yeah And what's the difference between when you were operating your law firm here in this building 
like what was that like versus oh, what is well yeah so. i will tell you you know so i loved it and i was the chair and of the small firms and solo section of the delaware bar um and an active member and the biggest promoter of you know, having a small law firm, because it really is a business. I mean, you're an attorney, but the business mm -hmm. you're in is being an attorney. So the better everybody is in sharing information about software, how to buy a building, who we're using for malpractice insurance, how to hire, how to train, how to, you know, it, mm -hmm. all of that is stuff they don't teach you at law school, but mm. it's the difference between you succeeding mm -hmm. in business and failing. And there's so many really wonderful attorneys who are horrible business people. <laughs> yeah. And and it's knowing that, right? And so here in this building, I would, when um, I was the chair, I would have the meetings at lunchtime and I would always have a hot lunch and I would say what the menu was. And I can't tell you the number of times people said to me, you know, I wasn't going to come out to a meeting, but I love eggplant parmesan or something like that. But once we get here, we usually have a speaker on some topic that was relevant to all our businesses and then a lot of networking. So I, I got a great network of yeah. other attorneys and opportunities to help people by you know, taking a leadership position there. Okay. It was just wonderful. So what the difference is, um, you know, I still have some management responsibilities, but but not what I had. So I don't, you know, if the coffee machine is broken, I just <laughs> walk by it now. I don't, it's not, everything is <laughs> not, not problem. my problem. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I can just focus on the clients. And so that kind of jettisoning, jettisoning, the administrative stuff mm. is something that is just enabling me to serve the clients better, which is what I, ultimately that's your goal is just making sure your clients get the best service. So I was so grateful for the opportunity and it was really the right time for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but I loved every second of it. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit before we got started about how important my peer group was to me. I was in a peer group for years of other attorneys with similar practices all across the country. And you just learn our meetings would always start. And I think this is a great way to start a meeting of professionals in a safe space. Tell us your quarterly, this was quarterly, your personal best and your professional best, mm -hmm. right? Then we'd have a deep dive. So each person would have a segment, this is across two days, of bringing to the group your good, your bad, and your ugly. And then once you stated what your good, your bad, and your ugly were, the question from the facilitator was, how can we help you? Mm -hmm. So you had a place, a safe place, to bring your professional problems in a room with people who had the exact same mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And that was transformative. I learned so much. I cannot say how valuable the peer group was to me. Do you get to bring any of what you learn from that peer group or what you learn on your own into your bigger firm now? Because uh, we, we were talking about traction and uh you know, part of the model is share with us your good news and share with us some headliners, right? right. Uh, do you guys do any type of stuff like that? Or is it more businessy in, in like the big outfit firm? It depends on the meeting you're in. So I will say the firm is fantastic about having lots of committees you can be involved in. And the ones that focus more on like women's initiatives mm -hmm. or 
um, you know, uh, our specific uh, group within the firm, you can do those kinds of exercises, and I think they're really helpful. So mm -hmm. although you can't apply them to every situation, I have found ways on these committees where those practices from the peer group are really helpful mm -hmm. and, um, and, and really great, but... but you know, and sometimes, you know, your personal best can be a very low bar depending on the crew you're having, you know, <laughs> or it can be something really fantastic. And it was always great to see what, and, and of course, um, you know, when people were really struggling with like some personal tragedy, you know, horrible thing, you're really there for one another. Mm. And, um, and that was great. It, so it wasn't just business. Of course, we all got to mm. be very close over the years and um and became much more than just other attorneys who owned law firms mm -hmm. similar to mine yeah real friendships yeah i think it makes it a lot easier when you have like when such a big portion of your life you have the same exact problems as someone because like a lot of times other friends that are not in the same situation as you like you could you could tell them about it but there's no like there's no connection at all right my husband is not an attorney and although he you know, absolutely like did all the maintenance on all the buildings, things like that. He's definitely my psychiatrist. You know, I come <laughs> home and tell him everything like in a good marriage, you will share everything, mm -hmm. but he can only go so far. Yeah. Right. But you go into the group and a good group is a mirror, you know, and, um, and it's, that was very helpful. So, uh, it's funny. You mentioned your husband. I'm really curious. How did you meet your husband and decide to move? To Delaware, because I feel like it reminds me of like um, his wife moving from LA, LA to Delaware, New York City to Delaware. Like that's kind of crazy to me. Right. So my best friend broke her leg on a camping trip in New Mexico, and my husband was one of the nice people who helped her. That's how I met my Whoa. husband. I wasn't anywhere near it. <laughs> she, she like the second day of a two week camping trip in New Mexico. My best friend, a hundred years ago broke her leg mm -hmm. hiking and actually New Mexico is a great place to break your leg. They have a lot of, um, because there's a lot of skiing there, okay. the technology for setting a broken leg is very good. <laughs> oh. And so she went back to the camping trip and my husband had a large dog at the time and he, the dog just knew she needed to be protected and stuck by her. My husband offered to help in any way. Mm -hmm. And, and he was just solicitous like a bunch of other people were, but they made friends. And eventually he was living in Southern California. So to uh, another similarity to Irene's story. And, um, and he was in a relation. I mean, I had a, a, a serious relationship for years and it wasn't any, it wasn't immediate that we would get together, but over time he, um, he got a, a job opportunity to come back here. He came back. My friend, he was living in Delaware. He, he was based in Delaware then. And he would drive up to visit. I was in a big group of friends. It was mm -hmm. one of the reasons I took so long to get married. We really lived like the show Friends. We um, There were two buildings right across the street from each other, and we all lived in them. And I would just make dinner and leave my apartment door open, and the pets and the people would all just go in and out, and we'd be over at one house all the time. If it snowed, we just dug one car out, and we all shared the car. Like, we really lived like a community, mm -hmm. and we had no reason to settle down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and so that was wonderful. There were happy days. I was working at the law firm, but I was a good cook, and somebody else was good at something else, mm -hmm. and, and we all just looked out for each other, mm -hmm. and it was great. So David, because... 
he remembered my friend from the broken leg. You know, they stayed in touch. He, when he moved back here, his friends were all married, had kids. There was nobody. He couldn't really reconnect. He had been raised here part of the time, graduated from high school, but he, he was finding it hard to make connections at that point in his life. Yeah. Everybody had sort of settled down, moved on, and he... Um, so he was coming up by us with, to this big friend group every weekend, and okay. that's how we started dating. And um, and then, like I said, he owned a house here. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just the math of living in Delaware was such a better start than living in New York or you know in in the you know Hoboken area. It's just so much. Everything was so much more expensive, mm-hmm. and it, it was just logical if we were going to try and give ourselves a chance <laughs> to to settle in Delaware. Oh, I love that story so much. <laughs> Cause it's like, how do you find such amazing friends in your life? Right. And I've, I found myself in that situation too. It's just like, I went to college. And I found these, these friends and it's like, yeah, I went the entrepreneurial route. And some people asked me like, do you wish you did not go to college? And I was like, no, I would not trade those friends right. for, you know, a much more prosperous mm-hmm. career or being farther along. I wouldn't trade any of that because life is a culmination of the people that you meet and the experiences that you get to have, right? Um, but it's also funny how you mentioned that it's way cheaper in Delaware and you <laughs> want to give yourself a chance. And it's like, you never told me that because <laughs> it's like, I just assume because you're a lawyer, it's like, Wherever you're a lawyer, you should be able to make a decent living. Well, but, I wasn't a lawyer. Remember, yeah. Yeah, Delaware yeah, yeah. Yeah. got yeah. me my scholarship. Mm-hmm. Delaware got me. That move yeah. to Delaware really made a lot of things possible, right? Mm-hmm. And and so um, if we had stayed in that area, I would have kept my job at the big law firm working all those hours. Oh, I mean, it was yeah. well compensated, but the chance to go back to school mm-hmm. didn't happen until I got a job that really stopped at 5 o'clock. Yeah. You know, and so we just got off that hamster wheel and and onto a much better life. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I love Delaware, because I cut whenever I go out um, West Coast to California and I see all the things happening around like my in-laws family or businesses or uh, the people out there doing really spectacular things. But the pace is just so fast. And the, the overhead of life is just so high in a place right. like California or New York. And then you look at Delaware and it's just like, it's going to take a lot to knock me off my horse out here in Delaware. And even if I do not get knocked off the horse in Delaware, I'm just going to get back up because it's like significantly smaller horse <laughs> than it right. is out there. Yeah. Right. The risk is not, if you fall, you're not going to break your neck. You know, you're going to just shake it off, walk it off and get back on. Yeah. But it's been wonderful. And my law degree from Delaware is actually, or my license is more valuable. I'm also admitted in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, mm-hmm. but uh, Delaware doesn't make that many lawyers. And mm-hmm. so, a, and the practice area I'm in is sought after. So it's been really great both ways. But I, I always say I'm not from Delaware, but I gave birth to a very large one because my daughter was a, or, you know, a very large baby. And, um, and she's a Delawarean. So mm-hmm. I've contributed to the population. I gave you a very good one. Um, but uh, it's been a wonderful place to raise a family and, um, and just community, build community, you know, but I gave up a lot of community. Like here's the, you know, when I moved here, mm-hmm. then of course we all started getting married. I was the first one and then mm-hmm. everybody fell like dominoes, but we're still all very close, see each other regularly. My daughter sees 
my friend, you know, uh, my friend Susan, mm -hmm. who um, was my maid of honor, obviously, and she was actually with me when I gave birth to our daughter. So she sees her quite frequently. And, and so that community has continued and we've aged together and it's just been great. But um, uh, that's how I met my husband and how I got to Delaware. But Del Delaware is like a great secret. We probably shouldn't even be telling people, but it <laughs> is really a wonderful um, environment. And I feel like uh, people your age have a much better chance of getting a good start than, you know, people trying to, um, you know, I don't know if people in Manhattan, for instance, or Brooklyn can ever hope to own anything, mm -hmm. you know, um, just have it, working hard, having a regular job. Yeah. yeah. You could be making six figures and still have two roommates. Right. Exactly. A, uh, yeah. 600 exactly. square foot apartment. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you could live anywhere outside of Delaware, that you, can, you you absolutely cannot go back to Delaware, where would you live and why? Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Um, you like to be in Miami in January. <laughs> yeah, and so maybe if I could choose a different place every month. I don't know, because I haven't been everywhere yet. I will tell you, um, I love uh, Europe. Uh, I always tell my daughter, if you can't find mommy, start looking in Barcelona, you know, and uh, Barcelona's got a great vibe. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I always say it's like Los Angeles and Paris had a baby because it's beautiful, but it's laid back, you know, it's not. Mm. But but I love a lot of the European cities. David and I just got back from Munich. We we're over there. We really try and get over to Europe a couple of times a year. And we've I think we're going to go to Lisbon uh, in, in 2024. So I don't know. I guess if I couldn't live anywhere, I'd like to keep traveling. Mm. And you want to be a nomad? I don't think so because we're both, David and I are both pretty homey. But I think, you know, I really like the idea of going somewhere mm. for six months and then going somewhere for another six months. I, I wouldn't want to be in another place every week, but I do enjoy really, to, really getting to know an area. Mm. Yeah. The other thing I will tell you is, and you know, uh, you're from where you're from. Mm -hmm. So I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in North Jersey. And you just can't take that out of you. There's something about when you go back to those areas, you just feel immediately at mm -hmm. home. It's the way my daughter feels when she comes back here. So I think it's hard. I mean, I, I am certainly a Delawarean now. I'm part of my community. But um I think you are in many ways. You're from where you're from, mm. you know, and, and, uh, but, but I think I would like to just keep, I, I like that idea of six months and then six months and then six yeah. months. That's awesome. That's why I'm so excited to be here because I felt like, um, we got to know that one area of the city really well. We were there for like a year, maybe like a year and a half. And now we're here and it's like, there's all these th like the, these cool buildings I can look at and all these different things, and it's really exciting to be in a new area. And they changed the traffic pattern for you guys. You have a fantastic bike lane out front oh, now, yeah. and it's instead well, of four lanes, it's just <laughs> two. It's so funny. Uh, I think it was, it was I think it was yesterday. A woman was driving. She didn't realize it was a bike lane, so she was driving in it. But <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think everyone got the memo. But <laughs> my gosh, yeah. as a as a bike rider, those people are terrifying. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Did you know Scout Coffee is apparently like the locals favorite it's like the number one coffee in the city the the coffee shop they opened down at the end of the street yeah, have yep. you been there oh that's wonderful no i haven't been there because that's crazy I'm, I, well no because 
there's perfectly good coffee right here. Mm. So it's not that I'm not into okay. support. If I had to meet somebody for a meeting, I would say, let's go there because it's independent, it's small business, yeah. and that's fine. Uh -huh. But I drink too much coffee to be <laughs> buying my coffee at any yeah. point during the day. So um, I would just say, you know, never lose sight of, you know, what I always told our daughter about buying something is if you want to buy something, look at it. You know what you mm -hmm. make in an hour right? Mm -hmm. So figure out how many hours you have to work to buy that mm -hmm. and see, then just look at every purchase through that prism, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, right. Exactly. You immediately stop spending money. When you do <laughs> start start regretting. The what, how much money approximately do you make an hour? You know, just try and take your salary and then divide it up over, even if you don't have an hourly salary and then, mm. you know, figure out if, if, that's worth it immediately stops your spend. Oh yeah. So, uh, that's, so wow. to, that's the point about buying coffee when you have coffee yeah. right here. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It also helps that your off your office on the third floor was so far away right. from the entrance. It's like, why would I leave to go into the cold? Yeah. Well, also I had a lot of appointments like, you know, like, uh, but so my lunches and my coffees and things like that are all reserved for business. Mm -hmm. I don't really, like take a break that way if i wanted to mm -hmm. take a break i would just take a walk mm. yeah but you know put my earbuds in and take a walk but um if you're in business you're not relaxing in a coffee shop you're there because you're trying to get business <laughs> yeah, you're trying to work, yeah, yeah yeah how do you keep up with such a fast rhythm of life because i mean even for your holidays you were in munich for like four or five days i was like i don't and then you're back here and then you're just back at it your transitions are insane. So I think like going to law school at night and working long hours when I was young, I think that you learn that there are 24 hours in a day, certainly in my practice area, which, you know, deals with, mm -hmm. you know, end of life for some people, you get the memo that it's a short movie. And so I would prefer to keep busy. I, I really keep a tight calendar. And I, so I will just tell you my whole life is calendared. Mm. That is the first thing. The sooner you embrace outlook, the happier you will be. <laughs> and, um, and that, that is just a way to make sure you're fulfilling your professional obligations, your personal obligations, and then yourself, you know, to, to yourself, what you want to do. I've seen so many people say, when I retire, when I retire, when I retire, and they never get the chance, mm. or they don't have the health when they do. So mm. I prefer to just stay busy right mm. now, and it energizes me. Mm. It, you know, I really do. I love to, like the event we went to last week, you know, um, we got a new puppy that day, yeah. right? So my husband went and picked up the puppy. I was very excited to get the puppy, but I also knew the puppy was going to be at my house when I got back to it, and... Um, uh, and I really, that was a wonderful event. It raised money for the Office of the Child Advocate. And our firm was one of the sponsors. And you just go and, it, you know, it's dark, it's cold, whatever. You get there, nobody has a better time than me. I really go to all that stuff with my whole heart. And that's the other thing. Don't suffer through everything. If you commit to something, try and really get the, bring the best part of you out of it. One thing I do before I go into every client meeting or if I'm going into something and I need to reset myself, is I honestly say a prayer. Mm. I honestly say, and sometimes I have no gas left in the tank, and that the prayer I say is, Dear God, please make me the best 
bring the best part of me into that room. Let me find the strength to really bring my best self to this next thing. This client has come to meet me and they deserve the best of me. Help me find it. You know, when I just reset myself that way and I go in and, and that's kind of how I do it. I really count on God to mm-hmm. give me a little bit more juice <laughs> yeah. when I, when I can't. Yeah. I love your posture of joy in like everything in every room that you walk into. It, like it lights me up and I can see everyone looking forward to talking to you as well. It may, yeah, I'm sure like, I don't know if you see it as well. Cause you're, you're the one that's giving the energy out to everybody, but it's just like, you just make every room so much more bright and I love it. Well, thank you for saying that. But I will say, honestly, God gives you something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, if it's that, but but also, I do really believe what you put out is what you get back. And mm-hmm. and honestly, I love it when people smile when they see me, or if a client will say at the end of the meeting, "Is it okay if I hug you?" And mm-hmm. and they've just connected with me. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it's all about. I mean, we're here. If if we didn't need other people, God would have just made one of us, right? Mm-hmm. If we were meant to do this alone, why make the rest of us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I think our purpose, when I think about it, has to be to help one another, you know? And I can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, you know, physical limitations. I have financial limitations. I have all the limitations that we all have. But if I can be what that person needs in that moment, then I've done my best, mm-hmm. you know? So when it comes to, uh, you were talking about retirement earlier, do you think, so I think we were talking about this and I mean, I, as it stands right now, I think both of us want to work until we die. <laughs> How do you feel about that? So I had a friend, my friend who bought the building in Rhode Island, I was telling you about his father actually had hospice come to the office to have a meeting with him oh because he was goodness. still a practicing attorney. He was, you know, at end of life, but he wouldn't leave to, to even get the hospice to interview the hospice people or have them interview him. He made them come to the conference room. So I don't know if that's Michael in my, um, <laughs> In my profession, attorneys do work longer because we follow our clients through a process. You know what I mean? Like, not really sort of meant to hand it off. And I love my job. So I think one of the nice things about having your own practice or having your own business is the ability to kind of just hit the gas when you want to or tap the brakes when you want to. And I think uh, it'll probably be that way. I intend to work for a very long time yet because I get so much out of it, Mm. just selfishly, right? I love the clients. And we also have a saying among uh, people who are retirement age, for better or worse, but not for lunch. So I think that maybe my husband and I being together all of the time might not be so great for us. <laughs> and it might be better to to have some a part-time. And I'm so grateful, so really profoundly grateful to have a vocation, you know, and and um and I will just see where it takes me. I will tell you if I do stop practicing professionally, I think I would just volunteer there are so many attorneys needed for like the protection from abuse calendar to help victims of domestic violence, the office of the child advocate, children who need attorneys to advocate for them, um, volunteer writing wills for indigent seniors just to make sure their end of life wishes are honored. There's so many things I could do. So I think that my profession will probably follow me Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, to the extent I have a plan, that's it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. 
the whole reason like that conversation started was <clears throat> I was like sitting in a I guess it was fi- like a basic fina- uh, financial education mm-hmm. course over a weekend and they're talking about if you contribute $200 every single month from the time you're 25 years old to the time you're 60 or 70 years old, you'll have $2 million if you put it into your Roth IRA. And it's like, that's great, you know? That's really, really good for someone who wants to stop working. You're going to start drawing from that money when you're 70 years old and you'll start, you know, playing golf or going to breakfast and doing nothing. And it's just like, oh, that doesn't sound as fun as, like, what we're doing nowadays, we're building something, you know? And even if we're not building something, maybe we'll go find the next Jesse and Josh. And it was like, they're over here. We want to be part of it, you know? Absolutely. I would still say the part about saving is important for no other reason that it gives you all of your options, Mm -hmm. right? And so what is the difference between having a good savings account and not having a good savings account or having an emergency fund Mm-hmm. and not having an emergency fund. That is when, if I have an emergency fund and I have an emergency, mm-hmm. it's not a crisis, it's a hiccup. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I can write the check and I can deal with it. If I don't have any emergency fund and I have an emergency, then it becomes a crisis. So it's always better to say, I can retire if I want to, but I'm choosing not to, right? So I would still save the $200 a (laughs) week because then you're just going to be able to sleep at night. I always have, and I talk to this about people who ask, I don't give financial advice, but I have, I think we all do have a sleep at night number, a number we like to have in the bank so we just feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, my sleep at night number to have on hand is much higher than what my financial planner thinks I should have because he wants me to give it all to him to invest, right? You know, but I said, I just can't help it. My sleep at night number is I just like to have that much access. You know, I understand you're going to invest it and make a lot more. So every year we have that little dance and we compromise. And I think I, I come around to his way, but, but to have like a fully funded retirement or a fully mm-hmm. funded emergency fund is like the best thing you can do for yourself because then you have peace of mind and you have choices, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't have to work for someone else. You can just say, I, I'm going to do this with my time or my money or my energy. Yeah. I think that's a good perspective because I was on the other end of the extreme where I was like, $2 million. Well, maybe I can make that in the next five right. years or 10 years. And it's like, why would I save for 50 years, $200 a week to get right. that money when I could just go hustle the streets and make something right. happen. It's, no, it's just, I'd keep one foot in both camps if yeah, I yeah. could. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that is sound advice. And I do see people who haven't prepared for retirement. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, I will tell you, um, my people who have pensions, so the, the military has pensions, some government jobs have pensions, Some it's very hard to find a company that has them anymore, the people mm-hmm. who've been at for a long time. But those people sleep at night because they get paid for waking up every day, right? Yeah. They retire. School teachers, you know, you can, if you become a school teacher very early, you'll never get rich that way. But if that's your vocation, that's wonderful. We definitely need great school teachers. But ones that retire, uh, all my school teachers do great because that check comes as long as their eyes are open, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're able to plan and have very comfortable retirement. So sometimes 
it's good to know a little bit about yourself and just kind of think about what your goals are. Some people it's, you know, you and I are different because we are very entrepreneurial and mm -hmm. we can't imagine not doing, we're dogs that hunt, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but not everybody is that way. A lot of people, their dream is to be retired by the time they're 55 and rent an RV or buy an RV and just keep driving around and meet other people in RVs. And, and that's what makes them happy. So I think a lot of that is, know thyself but it never hurts to have good savings it yeah. never does you know yeah so what made you excited like 20 years ago 10 years ago and today and then is your life more exciting today than it was in the past i think you know like when i was raising a family it's hard your whole focus is trying to be a good parent and a good worker and a good i think what excited me 20 years ago, I still love to do social things. I will say, you know, I will go to the opening of an envelope. So any social opportunity is always good. I always enjoy getting out and around people and, um, and certainly having a child was, you know, amazing. And, and 20 years ago, I was certainly in the middle of raising a young child. And, and again, with my husband, he's just the world's best partner. And, um, and that was all good. Living in our community, we live in a wonderful community in North Wilmington, being very involved with all the activities going on there and building my business. So um, on Sunday, I just celebrated my 19th anniversary as a lawyer. So it was 19 years I went to law school later. And, um, and I would have never imagined my life now my you know is it exciting like what you know you say what's exciting exciting can be a hand grenade but i will say i always yes it is more exciting now and i look forward to things i don't think of slowing down at all mm -hmm. i'm always interested in how i can find a place to fit in and where i can use my talents and and because I've had some success, the opportunities for that are more rewarding. Um, so I'd say that, you know, just going back to, I see my life as a life of service. I feel so great when I have a, an idea on a committee that everybody finds value in or mm -hmm. gets excited about and just ways to use my experience to help other people. And that's kind of what excites me now. Mm -hmm. Very, 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 very grateful for all I've been given and try and keep mm. that gratitude at the forefront of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think you learned the gratitude part and then the service part? My parents are great examples of, you know, everything, you know, uh, and, and how to be married, uh, respect for one another, faith, all those things. So, reading you know they're both readers good habits they're really good habit really, really good to emulate then i had you know uh good education you know the the people they entrusted with our education were also good and then service and gratitude is life experience just seeing others who aren't as fortunate or people who have um not been not grasped you know not taken opportunities or maybe just luck you know what i mean like it's just 
you realize how lucky you are. You have a healthy child. You just realize how lucky you are mm -hmm. not to take anything for granted. Things that, that people, every single thing, you know, that I have a car that starts, that I have clean water to drink. You really have to start at that granular level. And, you know, when you're having problems, finding things to be grateful for and say, my God, it could be so much worse. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I think my parents were very good examples. I was raised with a lot of love, a multi-generational household, lots of grandparent love, lots of cousin love, lots of things like that, you know, good support system in place. And then as a young adult, I told you, I kind of found a community mm -hmm. that replaced that right necessarily as I got older and embraced that. So um, I, I don't know how you come to that, except you're alive and looking and saying, my God, how God has blessed me with so much. Let me just sit. My prayers now are all prayers of thanks, mm -hmm. you know, and I will say that, you know, yeah, that's amazing. You don't pray for things. You say, yeah. my God, you know, how can I help the someone? Mm. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things that, you know, we start our day at our company with the daily huddle. And, uh, we talk about, or we start off with our mission, which is to serve God and serve others using our gifts and talents through real estate investments. And the next thing is, hey, what are you grateful for this morning? And sometimes Josh makes us say three to three to five things. <laughs> wow. Three to five things you're grateful for. And it's like, no one's allowed to be down on their luck at this meeting. Cause that's how we start our day. And I love it. Honestly, like even if the sky is gray and it's just raining so hard and you know, maybe I stepped in some mud when I go to this meeting and I sharing about what I can be grateful for, you know, the same things that you talked about, you know, running car, having running water, having electricity, yeah. being waking up warm. So like, yeah. these are amazing things. And sometimes we take it for granted. Right. Yeah. You need to reset everyone. So I think that's wonderful that you do that because you are a mirror for each other and mm -hmm. saying, you know, and good for you for holding everybody's <laughs> feet to the fire. But it is, you know, and it yeah. is really important to also, and that is traction, right? Your huddle, yeah. going over your mission statement, keeping everybody focused. Yeah. It's a really good program. It's a really good way to build a team, too. Mm -hmm. I know yeah. that um, people who have worked for me have said to me when they've worked in other places or had other experiences that that team building is not something everybody does. But I think it's so important uh, to really not try and be an island and to really loop everybody in mm -hmm. and to have transparency in what you're doing and show everybody, really empower your team to help achieve your mission instead of saying you work on this or you work on that. You're just trying to compartmentalize everybody but bring everybody into the mission. And know the reason why they're doing what they're doing. Right. I think communicating the reason why and how that contributes to the overall mission helps them feel very important for that specific role and why they're needed at that time and place. Sure, purpose. Sometimes people are just working and working like ants in a colony and they don't, they're too much in the trees and they don't see the forest. Right. right. So it's always really good when we can just take a step back and remind ourselves like, Hey, why are we working rather than, um, just do the work because we're told do the work. Right. A purpose. It's so important. Mm -hmm. The other thing I always did is I love to bake and um, I always made everybody's birthday cake here. Oh. So oh, you really? just got your order in. Whatever they dream up, I'd try and make it happen. 
And sometimes you don't realize that, you know, and, and when you're the boss or whatever, when you're the, the name on the door, mm-hmm. you can't always have personal relationships. You probably shouldn't, you know. So, you know, your professional life is important. But we're here so many hours with each other, you know, at work. And you don't know what's going on at home in people's lives. And, and that may be the only birthday party they get. That mm. You may be the only person who said a happy birthday. I don't know. But I always pushed the boat out on everybody's birthday. And um, yeah. uh, that was always fun. I always And if you go through my recipes, all the people who've worked for me over the years, if you go through the recipe book, their name is on the corner of whatever it was on their birthday I thought they were going to ask for. And, and oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I look at leadership now differently than maybe I grew up where it's from the bottom up. It's like everybody may look at an organizational chart and they see, oh, the owner or the CEO and it goes down. But really that person is in charge of knowing what each and every single person, their why, why are they even here? What's going on with their life or their family? And like, how can I help them get closer to where they want to be in life? And that's going to help them stay on mission on task when they feel like the person who's leading them cares about them and like you know i also today i uh i mean yesterday i transported the barbecue grill from my house to then we're cooking steaks this evening for the dinner but i cook lunch for the people at my team or my wife and josh and myself and kenny uh but we uh i just love cooking I think that's like the number one gift that God gave me that I just, I just like, if people like my food and I can serve them by making them lunch and it makes them feel so much better than going, than me buying them lunch. I'm going to cook, I'm going to cook as many days as I possibly can cook, you know, and fit it into my schedule. I think it also, like with the baking or cooking, you accomplish something, which is sometimes so hard to do in your work life, like mm-hmm. to have something that's completed, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. a day. It really is a sense of satisfaction because you've finished something and you are an excellent cook. I've had your barbecue. It's fantastic. So, but that is certainly fellowship to sharing a meal with people and, um, uh, it, it's wonderful. I, I, I love a groan when somebody it takes a taste of something I've made and just groans with yeah. pleasure. So that's always uh, a very nice feeling too, is to, I was raised with a big family and a lot of cooking going on all the time. And, um, and I agree with you a lot of times when I eat out, I'm very disappointed because oh, we're yes, good yeah. cooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went to Longhorn Steakhouse like three, three weeks ago. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear It's that. like <laughs> two and a half out of 10. It was so, it was so unfortunate. It's like they gave me the chicken wings and it was, it came in really hot and it was very good. I would call that like a seven and a half out of 10, but then the steak came out and I was like, you guys are a steak. I cut into it. I was like, it's rare. I ordered medium rare guys. This is a steakhouse. And then Irene and I had to both send our steaks back. And because of that experience, I was like, oh my gosh, we should have just stayed home. We should have just went to Costco and got our own steaks or food line and got our own steaks. And I always just made it just fine at home. So instead of going Bardea, we actually couldn't get the reservation for this evening at Bardea. And that's what led us to just change everything, scrap it. And it's like, guys, the partner appreciation dinner is now here at the office and I'm going to serve you guys. So 
Well, that's great. And you'll save a lot more. I can tell you that, you know, but, but also, you know, you can stay as long as you want. When we use the conference room that way, like on Thanksgiving, there was no rush to get out. Mm -hmm. There were no interruptions. You could really, really have a great time. I always say, um, you know, about eating at home, it's best restaurant in town. You don't have to wear your shoes. <laughs> um, and so um, it's just things like that. It makes it more meaningful. I'm sure you'll have much better time here than you would have had at a fancy place like that. They yeah. often don't deliver. You know, I'm sure Bardea is very good. But just the experience being interrupted and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Here you can really focus on each other's company. Mm. Yeah. But... It's already been like a month since we moved in here and we this is going to be our fourth gathering. So I'm it's just awesome because you had told me about you throwing your Thanksgiving and I just took it and ran with it. I was just like this is the reason why we had Friendsgiving here. We had Thanksgiving here. I had my you know I had my friends come here this past Sunday. I invited all of my friends to come to this party. Uh you know, white elephant and then I looked on my calendar and I didn't see that Josh and I had skiing in New Hampshire on the, <laughs> on the calendar. So I invited everybody and I was not going to be at the party. I was like, this is crazy. So I booked a flight to come, to come back that Out same day. Out of Manchester. Day. Out yep. of Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. It only saved me four hours, but Josh got back home at 10 and I got back into Philly at six. And I was like, I'm here for the party that I invite everyone and almost did not show up to. <laughs> When I told you earlier, I live or die by Outlook calendar, that's, mm. it, you know, absolutely. I, also, when I first started, this is important while I'm just talking about business. Mm -hmm. Two people I spoke to gave me good advice. So one guy had a successful firm in Pennsylvania with a couple of offices, and I knew he was successful. And I was just at a party he was at, and I said, can you give me any advice on starting my own business? And and he said, join a networking group and stick with it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't give up early, you know, do a little shopping to make sure you get a good fit, but stick with it. And that's what I did. And it was excellent advice. And the other person was very successful commercial real estate broker very he was a born salesman and and great at his job. So it built a really big business and then sold it. But I said to him, how do you find time, right? Because I was struggling with work-life balance. And he said, if it's on the calendar, it happens. Schedule your vacations. Schedule time away and, and treat it like everything else, you know. And, and that was excellent advice. It really was. As soon as I did that, I felt a lot more in control of things. Not yeah. like they were running me, but I was running them. Yeah. And and that was really good, you know. Um, and when something has to get done, you know, with our own business, we always put it off. We always put the clients first. We're always, you know, we're always last to mm -hmm. get our stuff done. But once in a while, I really have to treat myself like a client and give myself the same attention I give when it matters in front of me, and I found that that's helped me. You know, it changes my thinking about doing something I've just been putting off and, yeah. and, and always finding, you know, I have to make it a priority, so I have to trick myself and pretend that it's not me I'm doing it for, but it's one of my clients, and mm. that, that generally moves things along. But if you schedule and, you know, your time away, you know, live or die by the calendar and your networking group and certainly the peer groups you're involved in, just stick with it. You know, really, th those two things changed. It really, 
contributed greatly to my success. Yeah. Thank you for that advice. I love that advice. Well, I asked and then I took it, right? Yeah, yeah right, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Must, be, must work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good advice. Yeah. And, and my husband certainly appreciated the second thing where I where I did schedule. Mm-hmm. I was, wasn't just trying to fit everything in. I yeah. was really making our time a priority. Yeah. Was he like that? Yeah. Or is he like that with the calendar? Does no, he... not no. at all. <laughs> okay. My husband's a free spirit. He's a very nice, nice, nice hippie. <laughs> you know. Um, he belongs in that community. Yeah, he really is um, very, um, I always say I married the best person I ever met. You know, he's just a That's wonderful awesome. human yeah. being. That's awesome. Yeah. But he does, his cares are not of this world. I don't even know if he really knows where we bank. I don't, you know, he really <laughs> trusts me. Yeah. There's a real separation of duties in the house. And, and so I take that very seriously, you know, like he's trusting them making, right. I always run everything by him and I try and involve him in all the decisions, mm-hmm. but he's really, uh, he's operating on a different plane than the rest of us, you know, and, and he cares about the things you're really supposed to care about, makes those a priority every day. And, mm-hmm. and so, awesome. yeah, he's- it's just an excellent example. Yeah. Yeah. David has a very unique frequency in in life. Right. You know? I, I'd say that's true. Yeah. 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 I love that. Well, we really appreciate the time that you Oh my goodness. I, I'm so honored and I hope that um you know you know, I hope you got something that you can use out oh, of yeah. this podcast. But it was my oh, this great, is amazing. great pleasure. I've been I maybe people who are just listening can't see, but I've been really smiling the whole time. It's just been so wonderful. Yeah. And so thank you so much for the opportunity. It's yeah. been a great experience. Well, thank you so much for being on our Nigenius podcast. We're looking forward to having you again in in the future, whether you're back here for dinner and we get to share um or we get to hang out at another lunch at the Wilmington Club or go to another charity dinner. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh, for you are, you are me. on all the lists for everything. And um, I, I, uh, I so appreciate your friendship and, and you guys letting me into your world. It really is a gift. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting us into your world. All right. Well, have a great evening, Denise. Thanks. Thank you so much. This has been the Nigerians Podcast. Peace out. Peace. <laughs>